What's up, everybody? Canell and Bell. Danny Canell still on his Euro trip. Raja back after a couple days off. So, Raja, all this stuff about, you know, 24 hours ago, we're like, okay, we know Kawhi's going to the Clippers. Yep. Most likely four-year deal, mm-hmm. $141-$2 million. All of a sudden, Sham Sharania drops a hammer that it's actually a three-year deal, which is a two-and-one, the player right. option in the third year. What did you think about that after after L.A. gave up so much to try to get Kawhi? Um, I, I had a few thoughts about it as my IFB doesn't really work. Do you hear an echo in your ear? No? Nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number one, um, you know, that 2021 potential free agent class, yep. uh, could be really, really scary. So you could essentially reshuffle the deck, you know, if you were a Kawhi and a Paul George, if it didn't for some reason work out with the Clippers or, you know, just the way the landscape of the NBA plays out over the next few years, you could be sitting there in 2021, um, with the flexibility to do something else, but you know, both individually or t- in tandem with another star potentially. Um, you know, and secondly, you know, these guys are, are putting this money away now and it behooves most of them to strike again before the next CBA is up, right? Because when the next CBA comes around, and I believe that's a bigger topic that we'll get into, yeah. um, some of this money could evaporate. Some of these, um, player friendly type of deals and situations might not exist the same way they do. So it would make sense to, you know, get in short term, take a run at the Clippers, see if you guys look good. If not, you're back into free agency again with a whole nother elite class of free agents to potentially pair yourself with. And now you can strike one of these massive deals, you know, before that next CBA comes up. So again, that's sort of a, a, more of a macro view too. But then when you talk about what the, again, the Clippers, Basically, you know, to get Kawhi had to get Paul George. Yeah. So again, everybody thought the four year deal was in play and we've seen guys like Katie and Kyrie go that route. It's shortened by a year. I mean, I don't know how much it affects what you had thought of with Lawrence Frank and Doc Rivers to, and, but essentially, you know, Kawhi's doing this to match up with PG. They're basically having this two year stretch where they're trying to go out and win this thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, look, it takes nothing away from, from, uh, what the Clippers did because they didn't lock him up for four years. He, the, the new norm for NBA players seems to be flexibility. Um, you know, w- when I was coming around, guys were, were trying to get paid. They were locking in for the most part, you know, and even I, like I locked in to a five year deal with Phoenix. I outplayed that deal in year one. I outplayed that deal in year two and I outplayed that deal for the most part in year three. Um, no player options, no real flexibility. And then by the time year four and year five came around, you know, I wasn't nearly as valuable anymore, right? So I couldn't strike while the iron is hot. You know, today's player wants to do that. And if you're a franchise that is, you know, trying to win an NBA championship or, you know, trying to get out of Big Brother's shadow in terms of the Clippers versus the Lakers and you need to take a swing, you know, at, at, at two marquee free agents, you may have to allow them the flexibility because that's the new norm in the NBA. One of the things we talked about uh, in our office here, which is interesting, though, with Kawhi, and we talk about bird rights and all those things, you know, the early bird rights, full bird rights, and all that, et cetera. So remember, KD was offered a five-year, like 221 from the Warriors because he had three full years, right? Right. Kawhi, though, if he only does the two-and-one and then does not take that player option, then only two years. So he could get a four-year deal. He's just not essentially going to get more money from the Clippers. So I think that's... One of the factors, obviously, we mentioned aligning with PG-13. And you talk about the 21-21 class, and let's unpack that because we know that next year's class is not very good. Correct. The one in two years, which is why we see teams like the Knicks 
go short term is to then really take a swing at guys like Giannis. You know, our guy Tim Doyle is not convinced that Giannis will stick around in Milwaukee if they don't win a championship. So you're talking about a guy like Giannis available. What's Blake Griffith, LeBron? Look, some of these guys are getting older, so sure. they're there now. But you still have some really big names on the board and guys potentially like a Kawhi, like a Paul George, and even I think maybe Anthony Davis down the road. Yeah, again, uh, you know, over the next two years, what most of these guys are going to do while they're competing and trying to win championships is they're, you know, they're they're assessing like what the future of the franchise looks like. It, it you know, over two years, you get a real sense of whether you're viable. Like Oklahoma City, for instance, we had the conversation before we hopped on the air. Those dudes knew they weren't winning a championship. We're like, we put it together. We we we, tried. we thought it was going to work. It, it wasn't working. So over the next two years, you know, these guys sit around, and while they're still competing for championships, in the back of their mind, some of them will know that their team isn't able. You know, and then it's time to pop back out there in free agency and see if we can, you know, collectively uh, uh, figure out a great destination to try to go win championships. And so. You know, the, the owners will have a decision to make, you know, moving forward. And the players will have a voice in it as well when they get back to the table with the new CBA. But, you know, they'll, they'll have to tweak this because I imagine that ownership isn't in love with the way an NBA player, um, has been empowered, you know, and the flexibility and the, and the freedom that they seem to have under this, this current CBA. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see too because, you know, when the last CBA putting together a max and super max, the Supermax was supposed to keep players that you drafted because you could offer the extra yeah. year and more money. To your point, you used to want the security. You used to want the longevity. But now in the in the day and age of a 2-1 and one and 1-1, one and, one, and even now if you're injured, if you're a top 10 NBA player and you get injured, teams are still going to pay you a redshirt year to get you to go to that team. And what I mean by Oklahoma City, so let's just say obviously they lost Paul George already. And then they're open to trading Russell Westbrook, and now he's open to potentially moving away. If you're a franchise like Sacramento, OKC, Milwaukee, I mean, this is what you have to do now. You have to mass all these picks because if you don't keep the star that you drafted, you're not getting free agents to your town. You're not getting free agents. You, you, this, again, the last time this, this, this vehicle, the five year Supermax was solely put in place. To give teams like Sacramento, Milwaukee, yeah, uh, you know, your Indiana's of the world an opportunity to retain that star that they drafted, they groomed, um, you know, they, they raised, so to speak. And it just, it hits backfired a little bit. It, no one's really taking it. It's, um, guys aren't as interested as owners thought. And I think owners underestimated today's player. Again, in the old guard, I don't know that we were as savvy, you know, in terms of brand building, um, in terms of our, our, our financial wherewithal and stuff like that, as today's NBA player is. And you have to give a lot of credit to the Players Association because there was an effort, you know, when I first came into the league to really educate guys, uh, uh, you know, about business building and, and, you know, they, they offered internships and different courses at Harvard and different places. And guys have really become, their own business, you know, and their own, you know, their own brand. And they are, they are navigating this as if they were an owner, right? And players look, I mean, owners looked at them like, oh, these dumb players, like they're going to lock in. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, with those super max at them, they want the money. They want the money now. That's incentive to keep them where we want to keep them. And then you got them under your thumb for the most part, you know, and these players have kind of flipped it on its head and said, nah, we're good. We want flexibility. And there's no honor amongst thieves. And I always say there's no honor amongst these, right? Like if these owners really wanted to stop doing it, Guess what it would take? All of them to say we ain't doing it. No, no. 
That's you understand what I'm saying? It's not going to happen, though. Players know that. Uh, um, agents know that. And so, you know, they're going to leverage the, their situation to get the desired result. And it's just flipped the game on its head. So, you know, these owners have a lot of soul searching to do in terms of, you know, what they want this to look like going forward. I'm not smart enough to figure out, like, how they stop all of this stuff happening. Players are, are, as happy as they've probably ever been. Um, I don't know in uh, 2023 when the CBA is up, I, I, you could be prepared for a long lockout potentially. If it continues the way it is now, I think you're going to have to take a long, hard look at, at how you restructure stuff. And that may be one of the big things. And you mentioned sort of the players are, are taking advantage of the situation in the landscape right now. Adam Silver is a, a pro player commissioner. Sure. Progressive. We all agree with that, right? But right now, he also says these trade demands, for instance, going back to the Paul George situation, again, one year of a four-year deal, all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard says, I want you to come play with me. Paul George goes to Sam Price, he says, I'll kind of want out, and then it ends up happening. Adam Silver says it's, quote, disheartening, says that they've got to do a little bit more to try to work free agency. And they said, I will say, without getting any specific circumstances, trade demands are disheartening. They're disheartening to the team. Surprise you a little bit there? Um, no. I mean, they, they, they ha- when you sign somebody to a four-year deal, um, you expect, barring any unforeseen circumstances, for you at least to give that a three-year run. You know what I mean? Like that's or two and a half years. Like you want to see it work. This one, and I'm going to speak like uh, to the Paul George situation specifically, even though you know Commissioner Silver wouldn't do it. Like one year is it's a really quick hook on a four-year deal. Again, if you're in year two and a half and you know it hasn't bore fruit, or you're in year three and you're starting to forecast for the future, you realize you got to tear it down to the studs and rebuild it. Fine. But when you're a franchise and, and you're a community and you lock a guy in like Paul George for four years and right. after one year he turns around and says he wants to bounce, that is disheartening. That'll rip the soul out of, you know, a lot of stuff that's going on with said franchise. And so, you know, Adam Silver, they've got work to do. Him and his ownership group, because at the end of the day, Adam Silver don't work for the players. He can be pro player all he wants. And it, it, from a player perspective, it's great to have a, a commission that's pro player. But at the end of the day, Adam Silver answers to the owners. And they're going to have to have a lot of hard conversations to figure out where they go, you know, from here. But I asked you off air, and I'll ask you again. Yep. What are you doing, Sam Presti? No, I'm not. No, sorry, Paul George, I'm not trading you. You would just lay it down and say, no. But here's- like if you want to, if you if disheartening my ass. Like if you want to trade, and I don't want to be disheartened. Guess what? I ain't going to do trade you when I have you under control for at least two more years. It's not like they were losing him next summer. Right. I get it. You looked at it. You said. Hey, where are we going in the I Western think Conference? The Clippers gave them. I don't think he ever intended to to really execute the trade, but once you entertain it, as you have to do as a front office guy, right? And the Clippers are literally giving you everything that they got from Blake Griffith and Tobias Harris. I think you look at your team and you go right now with Russ, Stephen Adams, and PG. While we are good, and at times last year we even thought maybe upper echelon. PG's injury history, mm-hmm. Russell's fat contract. Like I think Sam looked at it and goes, "Look, we're first round team." maybe a second-round team. I don't think we're even a conference final team. So I'm going to take this right now because we also talk about the situation that David Griffith's done yeah. in New Orleans about the similar situation with AD requesting a trade, demanding a trade, and then getting it done. And then he got a big haul back. Yeah, we, but thought, we thought the Laker, the Laker picks were good. The Clipper one's pretty good too. Different in that AD was coming up. This was the last year of AD's deal coming up, right? Like – Paul George, you have him under contract for two more years where he has no ability to move. And so I, I do understand it from the perspective that you could have probably assessed that your team wasn't a championship-level team, right? 
I would counter that by saying, man, they still come out and support the heck out of you. Like the fevered, you know, the fever that's in that arena doesn't suggest that you're not a championship level team. Those fans don't believe that. They're, they're there. You lose and they're at the airport when you land. Yeah, man. Like those, those fans are, are rabid for that team. And so, so what you don't win a championship? Like you guys are putting a product out there that's electrifying for your market and they're supporting it. Um, there's something to be said for that also. I would also really like to know, and maybe I should have done this off air, whose picks are you getting? Because if you're getting the Clippers picks, and they're not going to be great picks in the next few years, those picks being the high 20s, like, you know, like mid, getting, mid to high the 20s. Clippers, 2022, 24, and 26 are getting a couple of Miami picks as well. So, uh, I mean, Miami picks, I mean, there could be some lottery picks in there, but not all of them are going to be golden tickets. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's not... I don't know. I don't. I'm not in the front office anymore. You would still take the player. You're talking about looking at what you got at OKC, dude. I'd run that back back. in here. Yeah, man. I'm and and I'm not. I'm not in the habit of of giving away. You know, something like Paul George. That's an MVP candidate last year before he hurt his shoulder. He might have been leading the race. Like I'm not just giving that up in year two. OKC also is being one of the smaller franchises, um, dip their toes in a luxury tax and you, you know, you become a repeat no, offender. No, no, now those are, yes, now those are different, yes. Those are different dynamics in play and I don't know their books like that, but yes. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, back here at Canell and Bell, as promised. It's a, it's a conversation that Raja and I are going to have about the top five NBA duos. I got to be honest, though, when uh, Producer Devo had, had thrown this list out to mm-hmm. have me put it together, I actually had to think about it. I was like, actually, there aren't as many duos as we think that would qualify the conversation that we're going to have. I actually had to think about it. If you think about 32 teams in the NBA and try right. to do now we're doing a top five list I think we could probably get to like seven or eight but beyond that might be a little tough I don't know if it was for me I don't know if it was for you um, I got to like nine 30. nine or ten of them maybe potential some of them are are on the precipice of becoming like actual duos like you could see you could see it starting to 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 take shape um, you know in their, their, their like Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray for instance right, right. like maybe not a duo yet but Soon to be a duo. So I got, I got probably around nine or ten. All right. Let's, uh, start with your list first, of course. Raja Bell's top five duos along with mine. We've, we've wedged both of them together. Yeah. I was thinking NFL, the 32, of course, 30 teams. But when we take a look here, pretty similar except for, for the bottom there. I went with Damon CJ out at, uh, Rip City and you went with, of course, the Sixer boys. Yeah. I, so this may be uh, throwing a little bit of a bone to Debo. Like <laughs> full disclosure, he asked me to include Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. <laughs> But it was a toss up for so me lucky. between, uh, between the two. Like, I love Dame and CJ. Um, I, I think they're fantastic. And if you had said purely backcourts, it's a no brainer. But, um, you know, in terms of one, two duos, I, I really do think Embiid and Simmons are two special players, you know, in their own right. And I think they have more upside than Dame and, and CJ as a tandem. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. You know what we get. And I think that's why I've gone with what we know. Uh, with the Blazer guys out there. It, it was interesting because cause you and I both had Steph and Clay, but we did not have KD and Kyrie. Now, we know Clay is injured, but I think the prospects of him coming back to at least play this season factor in, or did it not? Or was that 
Uh, yeah, the, 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 how no, the fact the yeah. fact that an ACL you could be back the the following season did factor in because I'm assuming that um the KD is out the entire year. Right. Um, and then secondly, I've seen Clay and Steph before. I know what that looks like. That that's that's been um a, a championship level duo prior to KD being there. Yeah, I mean Kyrie and KD are great, but I don't know what it looks like. You know KD, what I mean? A healthy KD and Kyrie would be they're in the list. Yeah, two for me, and then I bump everyone down and bump CJ and Dame out. If we factor in potential, and let's just say this is next year's yeah. with K, a healthy KD, where would you put them on this list? Uh, I'd put them at number three. Uh, three. I'd still have LBJ, AD, Kawhi, and PG. Um, and then uh, listen, man, I'm just valuing KD's health more than I am Paul George's health. For me, that's why my two or three is a little bit different. I got you. Like if you were if you were telling me that that PG was going to be injured and 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 KD wasn't, right. we could have a conversation regarding that. But Kawhi and PG uh, are, are really interesting because those are two of the best two way players in the game, um, and they both um, could have made a case for MVP. Even though you know Kawhi took a lot of time off during the regular season and then PG got hurt, so those are two really high level players. I'm not taking anything away from Kyrie. Uh, but I think he is a level below that. Okay. You know, KD is in that conversation. Um, L- LeBron is in that conversation. AD is in that conversation. I think Kyrie is in a tier just below that. And so for that, I'd have him at number three. One more thing that I noticed from our list is we have Giannis and Chris Middleton. Can we both admit that it's more about Giannis and we kind of just throw Chris in there? Because the funny thing is, is like I wanted to put James Harden, but I thought about James. And I'm like, you can't really, there's no duo there. There's no duo. You couldn't throw Capella, CP3's. Too old, and what are you going to Gordon Tucker? That, that's why James no, is on our list. But. There's no Robin for his Batman there. But Giannis, I mean, look, he was the MVP. Uh, he's the MVP of the league this year. Chris Middleton's an all-star averaging 20 points a game, and he's a baby. Like, he's a relative. I mean, he's not a baby, but he's young. Came into the league really young one year. Um, he is still ascending on his trajectory as an NBA player. That That is a real duo. Um, and, yeah, it is more about Giannis, obviously. Right. You know, he took the league. You know, he's the new face of the league, so to speak. Signature shoe just dropped. But uh, Chris Middleton is a really, really good young player. And if you had him, if you subtracted Giannis from that equation, they wouldn't nearly be the same team. But he would he would eat more than he does right now with Giannis on the court with him. I said I could think of seven, maybe eight when I was trying to put this together. Yours is a little bit bigger with like eight or nine. Who would you put on this list in terms of potential? You mentioned Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray. You think even potentially a Doncic Porzingis. I mean, what would you, what would you throw in there? Yeah, you got Doncic Porzingis was on that list. You had, uh, you know, Jokic and Murray. Um, trying to think who else I had on there. I don't know. I didn't write it down. Um, I was going through it last night. Oh, I'd even thought about, um, you throw Booker and Aiton in there? No. (laughs) I had Donovan, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as a one-two punch. I mean, Rudy's, you know, one of the best defensive big men in the league. Donovan would have to take that next step again. He took a step back last year. Um, it used to be funny because it used to be like Lowry, DeRozan, Wall, and Beal. I mean, you kind of had the, especially in backcourt too. Sure. Things, but now they're kind of split or they're injured, so it kind of makes it a little bit. Funny. Yeah, but but when healthy, Wall and Beal were in there, like I was even thinking outside Jimmy the box. Buckets, if you Russell, Jim, yep. Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, which Maybe. I still think is a it's a great move for the Heat. Like if you're the Heat, you know, I know everybody's like, oh, what, you know. Russell Westbrook is a monster, man. Like he is a absolute monster. He he's averaged a triple double. I know people. I I don't know that you're a really good player. What? Like you don't just people get dump that. on him a lot because I know that the, the contract and the efficiency stuff. I feel like it's easy for us because when we do HQ, it's to say, oh well, Russ. Especially when it's like Russ and James or Russ and Giannis. Why they're different? Why they're better than Russ? But like he's still a really good. Player. I am Team Russ. I get that. Like there are some factors that go into playing with him, and there's some, you know, that's a. 
you know, that's a, a delicate chemistry experiment at times. But in terms of a basketball player, tell me who Miami can go out and get over the next year uh, in free agency that is better? that can even carry Russ's bag into the gym for him. Here's the thing, though, I think, right? And this is a conversation I think we'll have again because it's like the talent, I don't think anybody denies. It's then if Russ goes to another team, does he have to be the alpha? Can he defer? And here, let me just throw this out there because you played but with – He shouldn't defer. Who's he going to defer to? Oh, he goes to Miami and Jimmy says, this is my team, but Russ doesn't defer. Who's the better player? Yeah. So no, you don't first, defer. No. Jimmy got to no, the better player doesn't defer. The better player is the alpha. The the second level player defers to some degree. Whatever but go ahead, keep with your thought. I don't mean to hijack you. You're saying PG would have a better chance at being the Robin. I don't know if Jimmy's is gonna be apt to say, Okay, I'm gonna take a backseat. All right, but this is the conversation I kinda wanted to ask you about because cause 'cause Russ is in this position again. You don't deny the talent, very good player, but now 10, 11 years in the league, you're starting to see how tough it is to have him be in a different situation. So I would say you played with Allen Iverson. I throw in Carmelo Anthony, and now I throw in Russell Westbrook. Players that are A-list players, dominant for years, but then towards the end gets a little bit tough about who they can play with, where they can play. I think that's terrible. I like not terrible on your part. I think it's a shame that that's the narrative that's, that's, that's with Russ now. Um, Allen Iverson was purely a scorer. That's what, that's what he did. And, and opportunistically looked to steal balls. He didn't defend. He just looked for steals and he scored. That's one dimensional. Um, uh, Carmelo, relatively one dimensional. Like, I mean, he rebounded because he was 6'8, six, 6'9, six, yep. and he was a bear of a human being physically. But for the most part, one dimensional, looking to score basketballs. Russ plays the entire game. He defends. He, now he's probably not the same defender as he was when he was young, but who, who is, right? Um, He's playing on three levels, dude. That man is rebounding. He's scoring. And the, what gets overlooked is he averages 10 times. Like he's, for whatever people say, it, like 10 assists is a healthy amount of helping other people on the court with you. I just don't, I don't see him in the same light as those dudes. Now, in terms of like winning or lack thereof the big game or the championship, okay. I mean, you, we could have that conversation more Allen Iverson than, than Carmelo because AI got to a, got to a finals and his teams won games. Westbrook's been in and around it. You know, he's been in and around it, but I want to be fair to Russ, and I don't mean to be an apologist. I, I didn't think that the, the uh, what's his name, man? And I, I, what's the coach now? He was in Washington last year. Um, oh, uh, um, I didn't think Scott Brooks, Brooks was Scott very Brooks. good. He didn't yeah. handle that situation well at all. I played against those teams, and you'd leave the game wondering, like, what the hell is he doing? Why, why is this going down like that? I think that's playing itself out in Washington. He can't handle that situation either. And as good as Billy Donovan was on the on the college level, mm-hmm. I had the same thoughts when I saw him roll out the ball in OKC when he took it over. Like you're not there there's no structure there. You're not helping him be the best version of himself. And I would make the argument that Pat Riley and the Heat, Eric Spolstra, would help turn him into or mold, you know, what you needed to mold around the edges of what Russ Russ Westbrook is to help him get over that hump. I brought up Melo, so he's gotten kind of back in the conversation a little bit with news that former teammate Chauncey Billups, former world champion, obviously on the TV side of things for, for ESPN, and this conversation gets brought up yeah. once in a while, so will Melo ever play again? Brought up when the Lakers have all these minimum deals, do you bring back Melo, put him with LeBron and NAD? Melo, uh, this is Billups there on Sirius XM Radio. Melo was like a good teammate, man. 
Mello practice every day, didn't miss any games. Now the one thing I will say, and I've even told Mello this, scoring 30 meant too much to Mello. Okay. Yeah. What are the chances again now that you think we will see Mello in the association? Not very good. Um, you would have to be, oh, here's, here's what happens to players. It happened to me and I was not Carmelo. Um, but you think of yourself in, in a light as a player, like, or, you know, you know what you've done in the past. You know what you were capable. And I say this all in the past. You, you, you know, given the opportunity, what you could do. Um, as father time starts to creep, you can't do those things anymore. Other people see that. The coaches, the general managers, your teammates, you don't. It's a hard thing to accept. Like you, in your mind, you're, you're locked in. You ever seen those guys that were like, like they dress cool in the nineties, <laughs> but they can't get out of the nineties. Yeah. Like they're stuck they're there. And yeah. so you get stuck as a player in that, in that space of man, I could, I could do this. All I need is the opportunity. You can't. Like everyone else knows you can't. The player is the last person often to realize that they can't. And so what has to happen is at some point you have to come to the realization the light has to turn on. And then you have to be amenable to like accepting whatever role is there for you on a team. And if you can do that, there could still be some some career left for you in different places. But he hasn't shown the ability to be able to go into a team and accept the role that they want him to play as this version of Carmelo. So there, there aren't many circum, there aren't many opportunities because you're not a headliner anymore. So bad teams don't want you. Right. Right. Cause you're going to stunt the growth of the young, the young players. You're not good enough to really get to contribute to wins if we just roll the ball out there and give it to you, but you won't play your role, which is going to be a relative minuscule one on a, on a, on a good team. So there's this, you're, you're stuck in this weird limbo. So there have been some instances where all stars have, have adjusted. Three guys come to mind for me: Iggy, uh, Vince Carter, not, and not. Manu. Not in the same stratosphere as Melo, no. though. So that's what I'm saying. I Iggy, wanna, Iggy. Who else did you say? Iggy, Vince Carter, and Manu Ginobili. Yeah, Vince. Right? Vince. Yeah. Okay. But what I'm saying then too is, and you mentioned how how tough it is. I think Melo. There, there's <laughs> there's that FOMO feeling, right? Because like he comes in with LeBron and D Wade and Bosh, yep. and and you come and these guys have success and they start winning titles. Then you take a position where you're still very good, maybe not at the very top anymore. And then remember the whole conversation about Mel is like, off the bench, man? Come on, man. Like, right. I don't come off the bench. Correct. That's the thing. But it would have been, he would have been a super two. He'd been like Manu coming off the bench, dominate. Like, cause for instance, also, if we have this conversation about D'Angelo Russell, right? Yeah. There's a conversation about when Clay comes back or, or there's this, there's a, there's a scenario where he could actually be a dominant second unit guy for the Warriors. No, he don't want to do that. Oh, he don't want to do it. No, he don't want to do that. That's not his. Nope. That's why it's the reason I said don't go to L.A. Like don't don't have your growth stunted if you're D'Angelo Russell right don't now take by coming bench. off the don't bench. Don't settle bench. for less. Yeah, I mean you don't need to, right? Like if that if the Warriors aren't winning the championship next year, so like D'Angelo, you were an All Star. The only reason you'd accept coming off the bench somewhere is if you like I, we're we're going to be in the finals and I am going to support this team by coming off the bench. Because you were an all-star last year, right? The Carmelo situation is... Manager Nobly always came off the bench. His role never really changed. His minutes decreased, but he was still called on to come out there and play make and do all of this stuff he did with the second unit. Now, he realized he couldn't do it the same way, so he was more of a distributor than a scorer. Mm-hmm. But his role was, you know, kind of Pretty the same. Defined yeah, early on. Vince Carter is a decent comp, though. Uh, is a decent comp for Melo. Some guys get it, some, some guys don't. Um, Melo... 
They don't have time for that. They don't. They gave him one opportunity, right? They gave it to him in Oklahoma City. That didn't work out well. So you probably had 70% of the league at that point check out. Like, no, nah, we can't deal with Melo anymore. You got another opportunity with Houston. Like 10 games? Like games? It was 10 games. Like, Mike D'Antoni is as player-friendly as possible. If that can't work, guys don't typically get many more opportunities than that. It's just the way it goes. You know what? It was When I played... Um, Secondly, like it's hard to not play NBA basketball, even if you're training and you see all these cool videos of Hoodie Mello working out. That's not nearly the same as being in a full-time NBA situation. You're not in shape for that anymore. And when you start taking years off at that age, you don't come back the same. It just it doesn't work. You don't come back the same when you're when you're long in the tooth like that. Um, when I played Utah, uh, you know, I stayed home that last year. You know, they waved me late. Um, I trained the whole year and then the next year, you know, I, I wanted to play again. I was, I thought I was in mellow shape. I was in really good shape. I wanted to play. Um, I heard from different teams and this, this came back to me, not through my agent, but from people that I knew that worked with the team mm-hmm. that some of their reservations about me were that I wouldn't accept the role that they had for me there on the team. Now, no one asked me if I would. So I felt a little out there and stuck, but they, they thought I was too much of a competitor to sit over there and watch a young kid play and, and, you know, not be getting minutes, whether in their heart of hearts, they thought I'd beat him out or not. That's besides the point, but that was what came from, from, you know, organization. So they, they look at Mello and if he can't help him win, like, and you can't give him the ball and let him do what he does. The question then becomes like, is he cool with doing what we want him to do? And he's proven to you twice now that he's not going to be cool in that role I would bet, if I had to bet, that he's not going to play in the NBA again. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Raja and Tommy here welcoming in senior NFL writer and pick six pod guru Will Brinson into the fold. Well, we're going to get right to it, man. Shefty reporting your L.A. and Melvin Gordon. He's told the team that unless he receives a new deal, not going to report to training camp and that he will demand a trade. What do you think about this news, buddy? Well, uh, Melvin Gordon and I are close personal friends. We have played Madden one time for like seven minutes. He, he beat me on a pick six, unfortunately. Uh, at, it was at the Super Bowl. We're, we're not really that close. I don't think he would recognize me in a field of, uh, short, squatty, Caucasian sports writers. But, uh, I, I do think that what Melvin Gordon is doing here is, is perfectly smart and reasonable. You're talking about a guy who's the 15th overall pick in the 2015 NFL draft. Um, he signed a $10 million contract. That's a lot of money in a vacuum. It's not a lot of money for a guy who's the way he has, uh, being a, a real red zone weapon, a great complement to the passing game, a workhorse in, in, in the run game for Philip Rivers in that offense. He, you know, he stepped up and elevated his play each of his first four years. And he's staring down a situation where maybe similar to what the Cowboys are dealing with in Zeke Elliott. He's going to play this fifth year on his fifth year option, which will pay him just above five million dollars. And then the Chargers are probably going to franchise tag him for the low cost of a running back franchise tag. And he's going to end up in that Le'Veon Bell landscape. And I don't think he wants to do that, which is why he's willing to hold out in a year. I think that the Chargers guys are really trying to make a push for the Super Bowl and are, uh, you know, sort of want, need all hands on deck. This reminds me a little bit of the Julio Jones situation from last year. Like everybody needs to be on board. And when a star offensive player decides to sort of go rogue like this, maybe it could entice the Chargers to give him a little bit more money, uh, ahead of the 2019 NFL season, but it's tricky for running backs out there. Well, so uh, we got training camp less than two weeks away. Aside from Melvin Gordon, what will be some of the other storylines that we'll be talking about uh, as camps open up? You know, 
Raja, I think like the biggest storyline for me is, and this is, it's, I don't think it's generic, but the, the quarterbacks across the league, I, it, they're so fascinating to me how uh, various quarterbacks in various positions are going to respond, right? Like, is how is Ben Roethlisberger going to look in this revenge tour against uh, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell that, that clearly started on the radio, moved to social media, and, and now is going to take place on the field? How are Josh Allen and Sam Darnold going to look in their second year as they sort of try and take the mantle from Tom Brady in that AFC East division? Um, you know, how is, uh, how is Deshaun Watson with no GM in Houston going to look, uh, behind a theoretically revamped offensive line? Carson Wentz is being mentioned as a guy that, um, is an MVP favorite. He's got a chip on his shoulder because of Nick Foles and because of how he thinks people perceive him as injury prone. Kirk Cousins can't win big games. How's he going to be in this new style offense with Gary Kubiak running things similar to what he ran, uh, in Washington. I just think there's certain, and of course, there's a ton of rookie quarterbacks. Kyler Murray's out there. Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, two guys on the, on a, at, a, at a crossroads in their career, right? The, the contract season, they haven't produced like number one and number two overall picks. I just think there's so many storylines with all these quarterbacks out there that it's going to be fascinating to see how they sort of unfold as the season starts. And we'll talk about quarterback rankings in just a little bit. But one of the other storylines that potentially we talked about more and more is the situation out in Houston with the Texans, right? So Brian Gain gets uh, let go, and they fire him, and so it looks like they're going to gonna divvy up the responsibility. It's interesting, right, Well, because you're talking about the franchise, three head coaches, three GMs, three playoff wins. Um, them divvying up the responsibility tells you what? Well, it, I, I would take the under on their on their win total. And by <laughs> the way, I think Vegas um, – we did the on Sportsline. We did some uh, make or miss the playoffs, and and their their odds to miss the playoffs are like minus one eighty to miss the playoffs. So Vegas does not think that this is a playoff team. They have a lot of superstars, but one of the problems that you got to look at is what's going to happen with this David Clowney situation. I mean, he, he he's. He's in, you know, like, like Melvin Gordon. He's basically said he's going to skip training camp. He's on the franchise tag. They're clearly not going to give him the money that he wants. You know, I think bare minimum, he wants Frank Clark money, you know, five years, a hundred plus million dollars. Um, who's negotiating with him? Who's asking his agent to get him to get him to the, to the, to the field to get on, to get out there and to play? I mean, you don't have the GM. Who's going to be making the roster cuts for this team? Is it all on Bill O'Brien? He's a very capable head coach and I think he's probably underrated at this point because of his win-loss record and people just don't really like him for whatever reason because he messes around with the quarterbacks. But there's so many decisions that go into uh, needing to be made leading up to the season and in you know in training camp like how are we going to pare down this roster how do we build out these guys you need somebody operating in concert with the head coach you don't need the head coach making unilateral decisions i know bill belichick does it but he still has nick casario helping him and bill belichick's the great bill belichick's a unicorn right i mean there are very few coaches who can do this by themselves and i i think that you know i would be worried if if i'm you know, if I'm the Texans, that Bill O'Brien, not that he's going to get himself in a Chip Kelly situation, but when you have too much power and too much responsibility and you don't have the checks and balances of another mind saying, hey, hold on, maybe this guy would be better on the back end of the roster, I think a lot can get lost in translation. And this is a big year for the Texans. I mean, they have Deshaun Watson, a superstar potential franchise quarterback, but last year he was being forced to ride a friggin' bus to Jacksonville to play a divisional game that you know might have meant the difference between winning the division and not because he was too banged up behind an offensive line and they, they couldn't protect him. So what is going to happen with that offensive line? What is going to happen with uh, you know the, the development there if Bill O'Brien is too focused on personnel? 
Yeah, because you mentioned that, right? So they went 11-5 and last year, and there was that conversation that uh, the word alignment between Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain, and obviously that did not work out because Brian Gain's not there anymore. And you mentioned maybe sometimes Bill O'Brien maybe getting some criticism. Maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's not. But, again, the way that they've structured the front office, do you think it lasts the entire season, or do they have to find someone that's in cahoots with Bill O'Brien, much like we saw maybe Adam Gase in the situation with the Jets trying to find a front office general manager or an executive that will really mesh with him? Well, it seems like what they've decided is, okay, we've made a mess out of this situation by firing Brian Gain prematurely. And they believe they could get Nick Casario. I think the belief around the league is that Nick Casario was willing to go to them. This is, unless this was some like deep cover mole move by Bill Belichick and, and Casario and the Patriots to expose the Texans and, and ruin an AFC, AFC rival, which frankly is sort of kind of believable. Uh, but I, I think, I think what they're looking at is, the idea that, okay, we got to patch this thing together for a year. And then, and I don't think this is not on the books officially. Like no one really knows because the, this is how the Patriots operate in the shadows, right? But the belief is that this is the final year of Nick Casario's contract with the Patriots, meaning if he plays out this season, he will be free to leave and go to Houston. And so the pre- prevailing logic is that the Texans are like, all right, tampering charges filed. We're taking a step back. However, we will be coming after our boy next year once he's able to walk away from his contract. And presumably at that time, Casario will be willing to do that. Uh, if not, they're going to have to launch a full-blown awkward GM search on the bright side for Bill O'Brien, if this team goes 5-11, and 11, there's nobody there to fire him. So he's got that going. <laughs> All right. So, look, each day in the last two weeks on the Pick 6 podcast, you've had, uh, you know, guests on, and you guys have given your, your top 10 position rankings across, you know, the, the NFL. Uh, you can visit CBSSports.com for the consensus rankings. But since we got you, Will, I want to talk about your quarterback list. Um, and I want to ask you about one thing specifically real quick. It was it was Drew no Brees. no Drew Brees on the list. Uh, explain that Ooh. one to me. Yeah, we actually did the podcast. I did the quarterback podcast with uh, your usual partner in crime, Danny Cannell, and he lambasted me for not having uh, Drew Brees on there, particularly with the inclusion of uh, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz, and Deshaun Watson. I think the words "lack of respect" were used. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't that mean. It was a good conversation. I think, um, you know. When I'm looking at this top 10, what I'm looking for is a combination of not just, uh, how did you, how have you played? This is not a, how, like, you know, this is not a who's the greatest quarterback of all time list. This is what I'm looking for in 2019. For instance, Ben Roethlisberger, number four, people probably surprised by that. I think Ben Roethlisberger is going to come out on a bleep you tour and light everybody up, uh, because of the, the absence of, of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. I, I do think maybe, th- lingering on a little bit I'm, I'm making a mistake and drew Brees will have a great season and make me look like an idiot i wanted to leave tom brady a little bit lower too i just think that what you saw from brady and breeze down the stretch in in 2019 is two guys who while they're a first ballot slam dunk hall of famers and, and two of the top 10 greatest quarterbacks of all time brady is the goat you did see guys who lost a little bit in terms of arm strength at the end of the regular season. They are older. And I think that when we talk about Breeze, 
he doesn't get mentioned as like we always say Philip Rivers or Brady or Eli Manning already fell off the cliff or Ben Roethlisberger, guys who might fall off the cliff all of a sudden in 2019. Breeze doesn't get thrown in that group, but he's had a lot of injuries in his career. Many times through the shoulder, his throwing shoulder. He saw it down the stretch. He didn't look great in the playoffs, didn't look great in the final few weeks of the season. And I think there's a chance that Breeze could fall off a little bit next year. The Saints could lean on the run game, uh, and particularly Alvin Kamara and that maybe the offense isn't as potent as it has been throughout the course of his career. And that's why I left him just off the list. I am sure this will look stupid in 12 months. <laughs> we'll be keeping tabs, of course. All right, so we go for the quarterbacks to the running backs. And we do have your list right now. And at the top is a guy that Dave Richard and I call an Avenger because he can do everything, and that's Saquon Barkley. Was it clear, cut, and dry, number one, for you? Or did you have to wrestle with Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott a little bit while compiling this list, Well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's, uh, the top four and then a, a pretty big drop off between, you know, uh, after Kamara, then to Joe Mixon and Melvin Gordon, Nick Chubb. I do think five, six, seven, eight on that list and actually nine and ten. All, you could end up one of the, one or two of those guys could end up in that top tier next year. Uh, the one mistake, if anything, I might have made is having Zeke Elliott too low when Heath, Heath Cummings and I talked about this list and the, I think like literally an hour before the news that, that Zeke wouldn't be suspended. When you look at Zeke, Every year that he's played a full season, he's led the league in rushing yards and led the league in carries. And even when he didn't play a full season, when he was suspended by the NFL, he led the league in yards rushing per game. And so maybe I should have had Zeke a little bit higher than three. I, I just think that the, that group of four is so unique and so different. And, and what Saquon Barkley can do as an explosive pass-catching guy, I mean, he put up historical numbers last year. He's just... I don't know if he's a unicorn. I just think all four of these guys are the perfect embodiment of what you want in a modern NFL running back. Zeke, particularly last year, got really involved in the passing game. Mm -hmm. You saw his catch skyrocketed above 75, had never been there before. One of the best pass blockers in the game. And all four of those guys can do everything, and that's what makes them so special. Uh, but, yeah, I think Sa Saquon was not a clear number one for me. It was very much a discussion in my mind of these four guys. All right, and the coach rankings will be coming out Friday, so we'll be looking out for that. Will Brinson joining us here on Canell and Bell. Will, thanks, man. Back here on Canell and Bell, Tommy and Raja here. You know, you and I have some conversations about barbershop stuff. Yeah. We both hit the barber very frequently. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about much in the pop, but we're going to talk about OBJ rocking a new style, a little bit tight, a little yeah. bit shorter. Yeah. I'll let you take this right now. Um, and then disregard with the vest there, the, the photographer. Yeah, it's a Prada photo, photo vest. I, I like to cut a little more clean cut. Um, so my, we, we're on here a lot and Danny's, my son had hair, you know, kind of like OBJ's where it was big and it was blonde. He had the mohawk. Yeah, he had, he had something like that going. Um, my son beat OBJ to this punch though. About three weeks ago, he was like, dad, I want it off. Bring it down. Let's 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 bring it down. Let's go wavelength. Give me a lineup. And so my son's been rocking that exact cut way before the last OBJ. three weeks. So I'm just gonna say he beat you to the punch, OBJ. But I like the look, man. I, I think, and this is all jokes aside, you're going into Cleveland like clean slate. Um, we've had an off season, but let's be about our business. Like if you're if you're the Browns, just you know, let's be about our business. Let's go in there. You got an opportunity to do something really cool. Not that a haircut means anything, but. You know, maybe this is him just saying, all right, like I, I, I'm done with all the, 
you know, extracurriculars. It's time to go to camp. It's time to go to work. I was going to say, you mentioned that, like, did you ever have that on the on the NBA side in your career where, where someone came in and tweaked a few things that signified maybe a clean slate slash kind of change? Not really. I'm hoping that, they, they, you know, like, I, look, <laughs> I haircuts mean nothing. I, I'm, I'm always one of those dudes. Like, I mean, look, you can be who you are off the field or off the court. As long as you come to work and you work your tail off and you're a good teammate and you're there to compete and win, I really could care less what you what you wear or what you look like. You're back here to talk about, uh, and it's a good topic to bring up real quickly, it's that coaches challenge. Yeah. The NBA, right? And there's going to be a lot of rules, but they've, they've tested it on the G League, the Summer League. The notion of a coaches challenge, good or bad idea? I don't love it. I, I don't. I mean, I, you know, again, it, it's one of those things where you draw the line. Like I know rule, rules go into effect and everybody think it's going to solve something immediately. What it generally does is bring up more, you know, problems. Like, do you know what I mean? And so, I, I don't, I don't have a huge beef with it, but I don't know why you need it. I don't think the system is broken. Do you know? Um, you could challenge, I don't understand how you could, you could challenge like a foul that your player committed, right? But you're not allowed to challenge whether one of your players was fouled. You know, I don't know how, how you decide that those are, are challengeable versus unchallengeable, uh, uh, things. I, I'd be interested to see how it plays out. You know, in terms of replay and, and so on and so forth, I'm of the school of thought that the last two minutes are no more valuable than the, the previous however many minutes. Um, so I, I would actually like to see them open up replay. There's very few calls in a game that involve goaltending or a 50-50 out-of-bounds ball. Most of them are relatively clear-cut. Yep. So, like, if you went to the monitor, you know, in the 12th minute of the game to look at a, 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 a goaltending call and it took you, I don't know, 35 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute to get it right. I don't, I don't know that you'd have that many where it would completely slow down the pace of the game. So I'd actually like to see them. If you're going to have reviewable calls and there'll be goaltending and 50, 50 out of bounds balls, why only have them in the two minutes? That's just my take. Speaking of two minutes, got about two minutes left to go yeah. in the show. Staying in the NBA, this concept of, of jersey retirements. KD, Joe Lacob said nobody's going to wear 35 as long as I'm co-chairman. You got Mike Conley out of Memphis, even Iggy eventually, Golden State. Where do we draw the line here? It's a, to me, it's a little bit much. I don't know. I, I think the length of uh, Conley, I'm cool with. By yeah, me. Conley is a good. You know, that's he's a generational player. There's a generation of people that grew up as Memphis Grizzly fans. I'm sure they have them. That um, that that, that yeah, like this. you know what I mean. Like they, they they would identify with Mike Conley as as their marquee player. Um, I think it's got to be something. The, the, KD is a phenomenal player, won championships in Golden State. Um, but I don't know that he's like legacy is going to be tied to Golden State. I, I don't know that it won't be. Like, so let that kind of play itself out. Like, you don't have to retire 35 right now. Like, if you decide in, in eight or nine years from now that that's who he, he identifies with as a as an NBA player and his legacy will be as a Golden State Warrior, then retire it. I'm and certainly not taking anything away from Iggy, but don't know that his jersey should be retired in Golden State. It's, it's tough because Golden State is a franchise that had Rick Barry and Nate Thurman and even Chris Mullen. And, and look, they've won titles, so you can say the whole title thing, but you, you talk about eras and, and how you, you know, yeah. invest into a fan base. I'm actually not – I didn't love the idea about KD, but I understand it. Here's the only thing for me, right? In no way, shape, or form – Will a jersey go up before Steph and Clay's goes up? There should never be it. Like you could say you're going to retire, but you got to hold off until Steph and Clay are ready to go. Oh, I'm with you 100. But again, like if you're, I guess my point would be then why can't somebody wear 35 right now? Until it's retired, it's not retired, right? So if you can shut them down from wearing it, essentially you've retired it. Yeah. No, so it's retired before Steph's and Clay's, right? 
And then even Joe Lego's like, as long as I'm chairman, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to do it because then he says, you know, I think he's still trying to save face a little bit about what. There's got to be an amount of, there's got to be a line. I don't know what it is. I don't know, like six years with a team. There's got to be an amount of time where you identify them. They've, they've had an era of work there, and that's, and that's, uh, my criteria as I limp in. We're out of time. Catch you tomorrow, kid. No, we're back.